Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. If you have just discovered this podcast, I hope you enjoy the many guests that I have been able to walk and talk with over the last couple of years. And if you are regular, welcome back. And um, we've got another very exciting and inspiring episode today with Joanna Penn, also known as JF Penn, the creative pen. Joanna is an author, podcaster and a creative entrepreneur. And we discuss all the choices that she made in life, not all the choices, but certainly quite a few, which led her down this path to earning a six-figure sum. She took me on one of her favourite walks along the canal between Bath and Bathhampton. We talk about all sorts from pilgrimage to writing to podcasting, um, the dark side of life, Covid, because we still can't get away from that subject, almost but not quite, and a host of other things. So do grab your headphones and I hope you really enjoy it. And as she says, never undervalue creativity. Enjoy. Hello, this is the Travelling Through Podcast and today I'm in Bath and I'm very pleased to be able to be walking along the canal with Joanna Penn, also known as Joe Francis Penn, JF Penn, <laughs> yes. um, but we'll call you Joe. Oh, thank you, Emma. <laughs> so, um, and you have decided to take us uh, along here for our podcast chat, along by the canal. What does, what does the canal mean to you down here? Yes, well, this is one of my regular walks. We live just on the hill across the other side and I probably walk along the canal most days. Do you? This is the Kennet and Avon Canal. Yes. And it goes, well, it kind of starts in Bristol and it goes all the way to Reading. So, uh, but this section is particularly nice between Bath City and then and Bathhampton. Right. And uh, it's just lovely to get away. The, the tourists don't know it's here. <laughs> so Always you a good thing. get away from the, the tourists who come for the Bridgerton tour or the Jane Austen tour yeah. or the Frankenstein tour. Um, but no, uh, Bath is lovely in this. Uh, it's very, just very peaceful yes. uh, to walk along here. And how many years have you lived here? We moved here in 2015. Okay. So a few now. We were in London before that and before that Brisbane, Australia and New Zealand and lots of different places. Um, my mum is in Bristol, which if people don't know is just sort of 45 minutes west and my dad is 45 minutes north in the Cotswolds. So it's kind of that time of life, Fantastic. you know, where you want to be near your parents. Yes. Or, although my husband's a New Zealander, so his mum is in Auckland, so we tend to... <laughs> It's a bit difficult. <laughs> so you've got Bristol for, for uh, when you need some city life. You've got the Cotswolds for walking. Yes. You've got Bath yourself, which is just a beautiful city, isn't it? Yes, like, it's a wonderful city, but also right on the edge of the Cotswolds. And we can walk out our door in one direction and just be in, in, the, in the hills, basically. Yes. So, yeah, yes. no, it is lovely. And we're walking right past lots of these uh, canal boats and all live in canal boats. Has that ever been something you'd like to do? Absolutely not. <laughs> we've, we've done some sort of day trips on the canal boats, but um, I think the romantic version is probably better than reality. Oh. <laughs> not really my thing. But uh, no, we do like walking along and I do like looking at them. And uh, no, I think that it, it's lovely along the canal because you do get nature. There's a lot of um, herons and uh, at the moment, we might even see some ducklings and, uh, you know, swans and a lot yeah. of bird life. But then you also get some interesting people stuff. Yes. And some of the boats, they uh, have little craft things or this kind of street food, canal food. Oh, brilliant. On the, on the towpath, which yes. is, is nice. But no, I, I like it very much. 
And I know in, in London, actually, one of the canal barges was turned into a bookshop down yes. by Paddington, which yes. is a lovely bookshop. Was it Word on the Water? That's I think right. Yes, yes, that's right. In fact, ahead of us, we've got some people who are already on their canal trip, but they've got a mixture of people who actually I think rent barges and yes. canal boats. Well, this time of the year, there. it's quite funny because there are a lot of um, stag do's. The, the stag do thing in um, for for the guys is is the canal boats, oh, and then a lot of the hen do's in Bath City uh, itself. So yeah, it's that time of year. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is a it's a lovely place, and I I get a lot of. Um, inspiration I guess walking on the canal in fact uh, one of my series my map walker fantasy series which is sort of half set in Bath features a character who lives on the canal boat okay. and has some scenes set along the canal so yeah all right so in fact so for the listeners Jo's actually not only an author she's a podcaster she is a creative entrepreneur as well as a an international speaker. Have I missed out anything else? A social <laughs> oh, no, media a... <laughs> uh, guru, I would oh, say. Oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I think I, I write books. That's kind of my the basic thing. And then yes, I podcast. I have the Creative Pen podcast with a double N, yes. and also my Books and Travel podcast, which is a you know on a bit of a hiatus as uh, <laughs> as they say, but has a lot of episodes about my travel history as, as well as interviews like you do okay um yeah but I, I guess i just i do put all my travels into my books yes and in fact that's i i actually downloaded your book the the viking the day viking, of the viking the day of the vikings that's right <laughs> and i found that was really interesting because it it drew on not only the idea of of a novel uh crime fantasy it's a thriller, thriller. it's a thriller yeah um but also that idea of being in places, I mean, very much about London, the British Museum and the British Library as well. Mm, well and then also taking you further afield to Orkney, Iona and, and Linda's Farm. So mm. mixing a bit of travel with, with actual writing. Where do you get your inspiration from to, to write? Does visiting some of these places come first, which inspires your stories or is it the other way around? It's kind of a bit of both, but um, the British Museum features in a lot of my books because I always go to exhibitions there and Day of the Vikings was actually inspired uh, by an exhibition and what you read about in the book actually it was there. So there, there is this uh, sword that's the basis of the, the book, it's a kind of magic Star sword. Yes, yes. The, that's actually there in the exhibition there's a a viking boat and they had all the bones which i use in the story and um the story is like the this group of neo-vikings come and uh, sort of to try and take back this magic sword and then find uh you know bring ragnarok the end of days and uh, so it's it's great fun but i was totally inspired by the um story it might get a bit echoey now because we're going going Uh, oh yes very echoey uh and run to one of the kind of into a tunnel canal tunnel So I suppose in the old days, the really big canals, they would have walked, sorry, <laughs> walking into you, would have walked their, yeah, their feet, feet along, along, along yeah. the top of the roof of that. I don't but know if it's too echoey. No, it's fine. Is it fine? It adds a bit of atmosphere. atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few of these tunnels. This one's quite short. Uh, there are some much longer tunnels along some of the other bits. Okay. But no, I mean, um, there the Vikings came from the inspiration from a exhibition uh, my book crypt of bone actually features a religious relic exhibition i went to many years ago um, the dark queen which is a short story that was also based on an exhibition uh, oh, and gosh. then my um, desecration 
my Brooke and Daniel crime series, one of my characters is a curator at the British Museum. Right. So I'm essentially pretty obsessed with it. You it are. Is. <laughs> I didn't realise you were quite as obsessed yes, as I. Yes, pretty obsessed with it. Well, it's just a magical place. Yes, and, it is. And, uh, if, you know, if, obviously we're in the UK, but if you want to experience other things without going there, yes. you can often get it at a museum exhibition. Yeah. So I do go to, wherever I travel, I will always go to museums, uh, art galleries, you know, if there's exhibitions of things, I'll go. I, I feel like other people curating interesting things yeah. is a great way to get inspiration. Definitely. But then sometimes I guess I go the other way, which is I, um, well, a lot of the time I find story when I'm in a place, like um, my book Tree of Life, which is another thriller. We went to Amsterdam mm -hmm. uh, one time and we ended up at this synagogue called Etzheim, which is a Portuguese synagogue in Amsterdam, which is the Netherlands, if okay, people listening I've, don't know, it's not, yes, it's not Portugal. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why is this Portuguese yes. synagogue in Amsterdam? And that sent me down this rabbit hole of research about Portuguese Jews. Okay. And, uh, and the Tree of Life ends up being a hunt for the Garden of Eden across the old Portuguese empire, set in modern day. Yes, yes. But, um, and so, so, yeah, the whole idea came from going to the synagogue. Yes, uh, what a great way to get your inspiration, but also to sort of um, get involved in, if you have a love of history, mm. to be able to really delve into these things and then use your imagination to, yeah. to create these thrillers. Well, that's, I mean, most stories. of, well, my arcane thrillers, which are my sort of action adventure, uh, Dan Brown style conspiracy thriller, um, they all, they're like 95% real <laughs> and then I, t I sort of just take it a bit further into yes. fiction um, but I base everything on my research I love book research I'm a total research junkie <laughs> so from, 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 from the from the time that you actually are inspired by a visit to the museum mm. so that by the time you finish the research how long do you think how long does it take you to write a book have you sort of is that a have you got it down to a fine art now? Uh, no, because it, it depends oh, what deadlines. kind of depends what kind of book. I mean, most of my arcane thrillers they can be years in the making because they are not just about one place. Mm -hmm. um, like Tree of Life, we were in Amsterdam, and then we went to Lisbon maybe a year later, and I found some other bits of the story, um, and one of them. Uh, which one was it? I have written so many books, it's hard to remember. Yeah, how many are up to? <laughs> Nearly 40. Nearly 40, 40 books. Um, but yes, yeah, so one of them oh, is... Uh, oh, yeah. just wait some uh, dog walking. Yes. Uh, but yes, I travel a lot and then I pick up bits Thanks. and bobs and then at some point something happens, like serendipity or, or synchronicity, Carl Jung calls it, that I realise there's a story that links it all together. Yes. Um, uh, yes, so we were in Mallorca one year in Palma and just walked around the corner and there's uh, the Franciscan monastery and this statue of Junipero Serra who founded all the, all the monasteries up the west coast of the USA. Okay. Oh and, and I just happened to be going to um, San Francisco. So I went to the monastery there and then also the uh, Spanish Inquisition in New Orleans which I'd visited like two years before, yes. and all of this came together. <laughs> wow, isn't that amazing? So that is, is serendipity in a way, Yes, isn't it, it is, and so that's how my brain works for those bigger stories, and they, they have very big scope, my arcane 
thrillers are are huge yeah like you know international travel and blowing things up and and then uh, I just wrote a book called Catacomb which is just set in the catacombs under Edinburgh oh when I was born yeah well there we go you know about the catacombs yes yes. and so it's a very one location yeah it takes place over a couple of hours um so that one and it's a novella as well so so I mean there's no rhyme or reason how long a book takes (laughs) at what point do you you decide that a book is you know a short novella or a, a full length book uh it just does it write it does it write itself almost yeah i'm of... i'm what they call a discovery writer mm-hmm. so some people plot novels and plan things but i just start writing and then see what happens yes yeah. and uh so this one catacomb i just finished and i sent it to my editor and i said to her look do you think the length is okay because it's, it's thirty-two thousand words which is sort of a a really weird length. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of in between, isn't it? And she said, no, this is perfect. Yeah. This, is, this is what the book should be. Okay. And so the shape of the story sort of t- makes it self, I yes. guess. Yes. Um, but yes, I'm... Yes, who's ever said that a book has to be a certain... Well, the traditional publishers, uh, because uh, if you see in a bookstore, obviously you've had a bookstore, you know, the size of the spine makes a book more discoverable. So that's why books have sort of traditionally been around 80 to 90,000 words for a novel, because the size of the spine on the shelf is discoverable. Whereas a short book, like a 32,000 word book, if, if it was spine in on a bookshelf, would be very hard to see, but of course that's not the world we live in anymore. <laughs> no, which very nicely brings us onto this whole subject of indie publishing and and how you actually chose that path mm. to, to, to publish. Um, having come from another career altogether mm. as well. So it's sort of like two questions in one there. So, <laughs> sorry. So maybe we start with the indie publishing part or whichever part you wish to answer first. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm... Uh, I was in business, so I, I was an IT consultant um, working for sort of corporates, mining companies and big and small companies um, implementing financial systems. So it has uh, nothing to do with what I do now. No. <laughs> I mainly worked in the accounts payable area. Yes. Um, but I always ran my own sort of I was a contractor a lot of the time yeah I started a scuba diving business years ago in New Zealand I've done property investment so I've always had a bit of a business you've got a business hat. sense yeah, yeah. A brain. I like having money I mean we like to travel so I like to have money yes. so I can travel so when I started writing books I was always determined that it would be something that would pay the bills and more than that give me okay. the freedom to travel where I wanted um, and when I looked at the publishing industry uh, I could see that the biggest amount of money could be earned by being a publisher (laughs) so yes so I decided to go that route and uh, it's you know I think in terms of choices I chose to run a business as an author right rather than just write yeah so I my time is kind of split these days between the writing, the creative side, mm-hmm. and then the business side. Yeah, because actually, the actual the publishing and the marketing of the book 
takes up just as much time as the, as the writing element, particularly at the beginning when you don't know what you're doing. And well, I think also particularly it. when you don't have very many books. Yes. Whereas when you have as many books as I do, it becomes much easier yes. because they all kind of feed each other. And also, I mean, this again, publishers know this, the backlist is what earns the money. Of course. Of so course. Most, most authors who've been around a while, as I have now, almost 15 years now, um, you end up with a lot of books and they, the old books bring in money and it's all good, you know. <laughs> yeah, especially, I mean, that's a really a good sort of uh, thing to say to, to writers starting out that don't get too upset at the beginning because just keep writing basically. Yeah, and, and, well, and I mean, I think if you enjoy doing this, well, you've written a book, haven't you? I have. Yeah. <laughs> Just the one. <laughs> Just the one. It took me 10 years to write it. Yeah, well, well, there we go. <laughs> so maybe, maybe choose a different topic yeah, for I the am. next one. The next one is definitely going to be a different topic. <laughs> yeah. I think I might even go to poetry. That's even shorter. Ah, uh, well, see, poetry is a very different business model. I'm not a poet, but I know some very successful poets. Yes. Um, and yeah, who do incredibly well. And actually, it's a lot easier to market poetry. Is it? Well, certainly with, I mean, like I said, I'm not one, so I'm only secondhand, but with yes. Instagram and, you know, some very big poets Yeah. now. Okay. So, yeah, it used to be that people say, oh, poetry, oh, good on you, you know, I'll never make any money. But now... <laughs> it's become a real can, thing. Yeah, it has. It and has. I was really thinking, when I set up the bookshop in 2014, two, mm. things, one, two things were a real surprise to me. One was that the indie, um, indie writing was really starting to take off mm. and it literally in the five years that I had the bookshop it was becoming more and more a thing mm. and people were no longer turning their nose up oh it's indie, mm. indie published and it's really inde independent or indie authors and writing has certainly it's starting to really punch its punch above its punch above its weight whatever yeah whatever well it a is. lot of people choose that route a lot of uh, yeah. big names as well yes so. yeah yes yeah uh, well of course I mean the most famous being JK Rowling who of course has set up Pottermore in, or, in order to yes. publish her ebooks audiobooks and the rest of the wizarding world so yeah <laughs> yes I mean she's the ultimate author entrepreneur that's true yes is a good role model for for many um but also the poets so the yes, first the poets they, when always. I opened the shop one of the first group of people through the door were poets saying, oh, fantastic, it's a, it's a bookshop. And they would hold loads of events, events there. Yes. The poets were very, very supportive. It's much easier to, well, no, I say not, it's not easier, it's a skill. Is The per performance of poetry is yes. a skill, but it's certainly much more engaging than a lot of novel writers reading long passages. <laughs> Especially descri <laughs> long descriptive books. How yes, do you well, keep... that, that's the thing. I mean, I, and I, I totally say that as, uh, you know, myself. I, I, I'm like, Hi, it's, you have to spend more time with a novel than you do with a book of poetry. You can just read a poem and, and that can impact you. Yes. you know? So it's a very different art. But I mean, that's why I think I've been doing this so long and I, I can't see any, me stopping is just trying different things. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about my pilgrimage memoir, which I've never written a memoir before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, which is, which is my first book was writing yes, exactly. a, a memoir. And I, I mean, yeah, so. I think it's one of the hardest forms. So yeah. I think maybe that is why it took you so long. And yes, you know, I mine took so. nearly three years <laughs> okay. on and off. I mean, it's not writing those words for three years. It's all the thinking. Yes. And you yeah. must have had the same. Yeah, absolutely. It's a train going past. It's a very uh, dynamic kind of... <laughs> environment down here lots of we're introduced to all sorts of transport from canal yes, boats lot to of lot of bikes and bikes. people with their kids and dogs and 
<laughs> so as we're walking, pilgrimage, how, how did that whole idea of walking start? Has that always been something that you've loved to do? Yeah, I've always done, done a lot of walking, but um, right from my sort of late teens, I had, when I first heard about the Camino de Santiago, I always wanted to do the Camino. Yes. That. And you've decided to walk the Portuguese one? Yes, I did the Portuguese one, but... Uh, Which is a lovely walk. Yes, you've done the same. I have, yes. but, but yeah. just from, from Porto, did you walk Yes, from... I walked from Porto to Santiago, well. yeah. And, um, but it, that wasn't the first one, so I, when, I, when the pandemic hit, uh, I did want to go to Canterbury to... Well, it was the 850th anniversary of Beckett's martyrdom. Okay. Um, and the St Thomas Beckett, if people don't know whose uh, shrine was at Canterbury Cathedral yes. and in a medieval shrine and so I there was all these events in 2020 for for Beckett 850 years mm -hmm. and of course they all got cancelled oh, because of the of pandemic yes. um, but I decided to walk that anyway I was looking for uh, another book inspiration and I pretty much thought, well, Canterbury is, I haven't really written about Canterbury. So I did, I ended up writing a book called Tomb of Relics, which opens at Canterbury. Yeah. But um, at the same time, I, it kind of just helped me to get away because I was obviously like many of us going a bit nuts with the yes, pandemic. <laughs> climbing walls, cabin fever. Climbing walls, and I was also kind of going through perimenopause, couldn't sleep. Oh gosh. Just, Yes. So I had a lot of sort of mental health issues at the time, and, and walking is one walking of the really helps. Best forms of, of uh, medicine. For, yes, for, this. for physical and mental yeah. therapy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is. And I needed to be away from as much as I love my husband. You know, we were all shut in for so long, weren't yeah. we, that year? Uh, so I did that one, and I thought I was going to write a guidebook, mm -hmm. and then I decided not to write a guidebook, and then. The following year I did the St Cuthbert's Way and that was just after I recovered from Covid so I had Covid pretty badly and uh, so I did that a few months after Covid. And for the podcast listeners that is a walk that starts in Melrose, Melrose. in Scotland and it's sort of five days to Lindisfarne. Yes. Uh, yeah I should say the, the Pilgrim's Way I walked from London, Southwark in London to yeah. Canterbury so that's okay. uh, six days and or maybe five, five or six days. Because oh, I did, I did it, but it went from um, Trafalgar Square because it was for actually for the homeless. Mm. So we must have walked a different route. Maybe not the totally the traditional. Yes. Well, this route. was the way that Beckett and the Canterbury oh, Tales, of course, yes, uh, went. You used to go and you stop at various places. In '21, I did the Cuthberts, and then because I, when I was really sick with COVID, I was, I was really sick. Yes, um, I was too, actually. Yeah, you were too, yeah. I think we're probably both at the same age, where apparently people of our age, when we get it, <laughs> got it worse. Well, I think, I think also there's a familial, a familial aspect that they have now found in that my cousin was in hospital on ventilator, like one oh, of the gosh. few people who made it out of there. Um, and my whole, my dad's side of the family were really sick. Yes. My mum's side were not. Um, my husband never got it, you know, so I think there's definitely some aspects really interesting anyway i got super super sick and i, I mean could hardly even walk to the toilet no, let alone i was the same with you the same yes totally. and um i think i was in bed for about two weeks yeah i was in bed for a, cu a couple of weeks yeah. and then i had sort of three months of 
yeah. pretty bad. And then I also was using, were you using a breathalyzer I'm, to retrain your lungs? No, I was just walking up and down the stairs. Oh, right. I, and I, I really, Oh, there you yes. go. I also think sometimes just post-viral just takes a while. Yeah, so I, it, it took me about six months. Just and have then to I was, be kind to yourself. Yeah, really. yeah. Although I still don't think I got all my taste back. Or my smell. No, I wonder that too sometimes when people say, didn't you smell that? I go, no. No, exactly. <laughs> I think, it has to be really strong for me to smell it. Yeah. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the I was, I was lying there with, you know, and also it was the, it was the heat wave, one of the worst heat oh, waves we had. Gosh, I see, I had it in March before, <laughs> ah, before just okay. before the first lockdown was announced and super, you know what, I think you've got it already, Emma. <laughs> oh, you got it, right, you got right it really soon. Right the very beginning, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, so I basically was lying in bed thinking, I've always said I would do the Camino. Yes. What if this is it for me? What if I can't <sighs> do it? I wasn't so much worried about dying. I was worried about being debilitatingly ill yes. for ever. Yeah. And I was like, what if I can't ever do it? I said I would do it. And I'm, what was I, 47 or something. And I really have to do it. And I think that, that would be something to say to listeners is if you feel this call, to something don't wait 25 years <laughs> just pick your feet up and go yeah and get yes. going and so that that was when I said right I'm going to walk it and um, finally sort of booked it and because that's the thing you know when you do a longer pilgrimage especially in a different country you, you have to plan a lot more yeah uh, so I, I I did it on my own I carried my own pack yes but I did um, use Max Adventure, M-A-C Max, okay. um, and they booked my accommodation right? Uh, because I didn't want to be in a dorm room because of the whole sleeping thing. The last yes. thing I wanted was several yeah. weeks of snoring. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> and I think that, that's probably another tip is you, get, you have to choose your challenge. And my challenge was, I guess, carrying my own gear and yeah. the challenge of walking for 15 days. Yeah. But I didn't want the challenge of sleeping at night. No, 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 no. Well, or not being able to sleep. <laughs> yes, exactly. When you weren't sleeping particularly well. Yes, anyway, so. exactly. Although, I yeah, I mean, so that I think that would be the thing. And also, if people are like now, having done three pilgrimages where I've carried all my own gear, yes. I would probably just get porterage. <laughs> okay, so ha having done three pilgrimages, mm. Has your pack got lighter? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. my goodness. Yeah. Well, I think the difference, though, is to walk the Portuguese route for the Camino in September, I did it, you only need a pair of shorts, yes. like two T-shirts, like, yep. and then your nighttime shoes are like a pair of flip-flops or whatever, exactly. and a hat, and then you can wash your gear every night and you know it will dry. Yes. Whereas I walk the St Cuthbert's, uh, and the Pilgrim's Way in October in the UK. It was freezing on the St. Oh, Cuthbert's Way. Yeah. It was so cold. So uh, even just my base clothing, I had more. And of course, then you need bigger pack because it's roll up yep. um, fleece. And, and it's not going to dry overnight. Unless, no. unless you're somewhere that's got a and tumble dryer. Yeah, and this is kind of UK. Yeah, yeah exactly. B&Bs, they're just it's not very good for that kind not of thing. is it? <laughs> no, and so, and it, it rained so much. Oh, so I had no. extra wet weather gear. I mean, if for the Camino, I just had my little summer waterproof. So my pack had to be a different size. Yes, yes. So I think certainly by the Camino, I was a lot more hardcore with getting rid of stuff. Um, the other thing I was, I've read about this, about people coming out of COVID with slightly hoarding behavior and when I look at what I carried on the Cuthbert's way while well, I was still pretty 
I was still in recovery. Yes. Um, I carried so much stuff I didn't need because I think I was preparing for every possible eventuality. Okay. And what we tend to forget is that wherever we're going generally, we can get the stuff. You yeah. don't have to carry exactly. it with you. So they'll, you know, we're not going to outer Mongolia. We're not no. going into... No, no, I wasn't uh, wild camping or no, anything like exactly. that. I mean, if I didn't find some, actually, the, I mean, I would recommend if people are looking for more of a wilderness pilgrimage, then the Cuthberts is pretty remote in parts. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, the Camino is not remote at no. all. And you can choose to meet and walk with people or walk by yourself. Mm. Which is a, um, although I think it's, uh, the Portuguese one was, was busy, but it wasn't terribly busy when we were there. It was still post the COVID time, yes. some people, a lot of people. Oh, what year were you there? So we were there, two th oh gosh, 20, uh, I can't even remember, what, 2021. Yeah, well, that's when I did it. Oh, OK. September 21. Wow. When the Queen died during my my walk. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Probably the same time, is it? Have I got that wrong? Ah, uh, but we only walked, sorry, we walked in two parts. So we walked in 2019 from Porto to the Spanish-Portuguese border. Oh, uh, yeah. Then we had to come back because Steve had a, had started a job. So that was 2019. Then COVID hit. So then we walked the second part um, in 2021 from the Spanish border, from Tui up to uh, okay. Santiago. So oh, right. See, I did, did the coastal. Two. So I didn't go through yeah. Tui. I was just on the coast. OK, the so we, did, we actually started coast, but then got bored. And so we went the central. We went off off piste <laughs> to find the central bits and walk to the central bits. Oh, okay, yeah. Which was really nice as well. So, I was, yes, that's the other thing for, for people. If you're walking at one route and there's another route and you're bored, change it. There's nothing that says you have to stick to Unless to you've booked your accommodation. Unless you've booked your accommodation. <laughs> then you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but I think for me, like I said, you have to choose your... It's a bike going past. Yeah. You have to choose your challenge. And I did not want to... I was walking on my own and I wanted to be on my own, but I didn't want to have to figure out where I was sleeping every night. Yeah. So I really liked knowing I was leaving this place and I had to get to that place. Yes, yes. And that's literally every day. All I had to do was get up and get from one place to the next place. Okay. Um, and that to me is part of the attraction of pilgrimage. Like this canal path, to be honest, this canal path, you, you can walk in either direction, but yes. you don't have to navigate because nope. It's you next to it's a waterway. Exactly. You know where it's going to end up, and that's why I walk here so often. Because if I, if I, I, I can just walk, and my brain can be doing other things. Yeah. Um, and with a pilgrimage, there is very little times in your life when it, the path ahead is so clear. Yeah. And with a pilgrimage, you can be like, right, I'm getting up, doing this. Oh, here's the. Oh, duck and the ducklings. ducklings. Oh, mama with six, six. little ducklings. How lovely uh -huh. is that? You might be able to hear them. They're dark with little yellow chests, very fluffy. Very cute. <laughs> uh, so, uh, actually, so you touched on something there where you said your brain can do something else while you're walking. Mm. Does it? Because I found that when I walked, I had nothing in my head. Like I was expecting all these things and lots of thoughts. But maybe it was happening subconsciously. How yes, I think you? I think that uh, that particular. You're right. I mean, for a, a pilgrimage walk, it's quite a different situation, especially with it was very hot and mm. or it was raining or whatever. And, in, and you get progressively more tired and all of yes. that kind of thing. But here, I mean, I walk this almost every day. So I could I always think about 
lots of different things. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the because yes. probably because it's fam it's a familiar walk, isn't yes, it? So it's you very familiar. can switch off more than. And I, I often have a lot of ideas. Do you walking along it. here? But I think on you're right on the Camino. It was I did think about things, but then you know you have to stop and get out your phone and type a note or get your notebook out and type a note. And I so I didn't actually. I certainly didn't have any sort of big. Uh, realizations i think this is the Your other light bulb yeah <laughs> i think people assume that if you go on a pilgrimage then sometime during the pilgrimage if you're religious which i'm not religious mm. um that you might meet god or god might say something or if you're a secular pilgrim like me you think your life will be changed in some other way or you get some big answer but actually i think that comes later I agree. and um yes. on, when you're reflecting on your yeah. journey so like you you taking 10 years to write your memoir um, the reflection is where you find the meaning, not necessarily in the experience itself. Yeah. Was that yes. right? was that the same for you? Um, I think for, for my for my memoir, uh, could I even call it a travel memoir really? So mine was very much no, mine was actually more in the moment actually, mm. um, and I wrote it the first draft quite soon after I came back from mm. traveling around the Balkans in my old Yugoslav car. Mm. Um, but then I left it for a while and then went back to it and things I put in it I then took out. Um, yes, I think memoir is mostly editing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I is. think I had around 100,000 words, <laughs> which, which eventually was turned into about 35. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I managed pilgrimage. to get to, uh, down to 72,000. Oh, well, so. well done, yeah. So, um, Whereas I think yours, but yours is a, uh, an A to B Yes, and uh, I travel. was talking about each different Balkan country yes. I, I went through. So it kind Whereas of mine, split it. Whereas mine, I started with that, but mine ended up being lessons learned okay. from solo walking three ancient ways. Right. So I turned mine more into a kind of, yes, it has some practical stuff, but it's more of a self-help slash memoir. Yes. And for that memoir, you, you've published it in two ways. One, as a as a paperback but also as a, a hardback version yeah well it's in every, it's in every version i narrated the audiobook oh right because that's the other uh, thing it's I an ebook it's uh, it's a special edition hardback special edition paperback both of which have my color photos from the brilliant because okay. i really wanted to have a really special book like a coffee table book yeah mm -hmm. well it's not it's not that big it's right. still kind of a small book but in the hardback which uh, you can only get from my store yes um on your uh, website yes so jfpenbooks.com uh, and uh that's that the the paperback ebook audiobook are everywhere on all the stores on amazon and yes audible and all the all the usual places but yeah i wanted to do a special hardback and i did a kickstarter for that um so in, in order to do the printing of that in a sort of special way so that that you're really breaking from tradition i know we weren't really going to talk about this too much but, <laughs> but as as we've kind of touched on it was that a real cha challenge for you to to do that well i think it's it's mainly if you want to do a special print run although these are also available print on demand but uh, yeah. You want you you need to get, sort of get the money up front. Yes, yes. And I'd never done a Kickstarter before, and it's nothing new. I mean, crowdfunding's been around for more than a decade. Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a way. It's almost like a pre-order. Yeah. And I had what did I have around six hundred and seventy or something people. Okay. That's who pre-ordered yes. the book there? 
And I mean, for some people that doesn't sound like very much, but it, it, uh, it was a good, good chunk of money, which, you know, essentially paid for the printing and a good profit, much more than you would have got from a publisher yes, for yes. such a niche memoir. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to do something special for a book that means a lot to me. And having, having written a memoir, is it something that you would like to do again? I think, again, it's something that all my books rise up from a desire. Yes. And I have no desire at the moment to, to write that. No. Um, but I'm writing a book about... My next kind of non-fiction is about writing from the shadow, so writing from your dark side. OK. Which will, you know, appeal to some yes. similar people, because it will have religion and history and memento mori and all kinds of things in. So how do you interpret your dark side? Well, I think it's just all the things that society says you shouldn't think are interesting. Like, uh, I find uh, tombs and ossuaries and, I mean, you'll get this from a lot of people who write thrillers, crime, horror, and I write all of those. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty interested in death and death culture and yep. we like, yeah, all of those things. And so those come up in a lot of my books. Okay. Do you think that's also come from the fact that it's not, as you say, it's not talked about? Well, and I think in our, culture, in our culture, it's not so no. much, but in, in Mexico, it's in pretty much, much yeah, every other culture I, is. Even in Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> I just think it's something that you're either interested in or not. Like yes. I'll often say to a room of people, do you like graveyards? Do you enjoy going to a graveyard? Do you like tombstones? Do you find that kind of thing interesting? And probably about a third of the people in the room will put their hands up. Right. And then I say, OK, you, you'll probably like my fiction. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. it's just something that people kind of have. And I mean, I like, you know, ancient relics and lost tombs. And uh, although I write all my books are kind of set in modern times, everything is related to religious history or various other historical things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's just the interesting thing. But of course, and I don't write... Uh, I don't write romance, mm. I don't write erotica, Right. Uh, but that's another side. There's a lot of writers, obviously, who write Including that market. Including your mother. Uh, yeah, my, <laughs> just well, she used to, she oh, used okay. to. Um, but, uh, so, because you're marketing her books? On I was helping her because, okay. you know, she's in her mid-70s. So yes, yes. you you got to help your old mum do things. Absolutely, <laughs> I think that's But fantastic. no, she stopped writing because of her okay. eyesight. Um, but, um, yeah, so the book will definitely cover those sort of more taboo yeah. topics that okay. writers write about. Very but I think the main thing in the shadow is the stuff that you've pushed into the shadow because it's somehow unacceptable or you're afraid of it. And that's different for everyone. Like I was reflecting on this the other day. The idea of death is not, I, I don't have a problem with death. No, but, we're all going to die. Yeah, <laughs> but a lot Can't of people don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no. It doesn't bother me. But no. the interesting thing that I think has come out of my shadow more recently is this sort of old age. Yes. And as we briefly touched on, sort of menopause as a woman means a changing yep. physical self. And, uh, you know, there's things that mark your transition into being 
somebody different in the eyes of society as well as yourself. Yes. And then you start looking at the stereotypes of older women and you realise how, <laughs> how oh. this has become almost a shadow yeah. topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are incredible benefits of that, but it's also something that's quite interesting. And so I'm starting to look at that as I'm do I, again, I do a lot of research and I actually studied Jungian psychology way back. Oh, did um, you? Oh, wow. Yeah, for my, in my first degree when I did theology and I studied psychology of religion. Okay. Um, so I studied Jung back then. So I've basically been kind of working on the shadow book for 30 years. <laughs> Gosh, okay. How fascinating. But I think it will help people tap into the powerful things that they could bring to their writing. Yes. And get below the surface. So it's quite a hardcore book. Yeah, and also that it's the fact that, I mean, death and it's in itself is something that everybody experiences differently because of the relationship they had with that person. Yes. And, and in fact, I think it was Sylvester. <laughs> yeah, or themselves, exactly. Yeah, you have uh, to meet death at some point. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Pro probably multiple times <laughs> in different guises. Yes. I think it was um, Sylvester Stallone said something the other day. I, I was following him on Instagram and he, and he was saying, you know, about memory and how um, many people say, oh, well, not that you'll get over it, but, you know, so it happens, the death of whoever it was happened so long ago, you should be over it by now. And his point was, oh, isn't it, sorry, got to cut across hollyhocks how often do you see hollyhocks these days quite a lot along here do you? yeah <laughs> but no, these are, we're in Bathampton now <gasps> and uh this there's a pub here and we'll turn around but um yeah these lovely cottages that's beautiful yes um Sylvester Stallone said that it's got nothing to do with how long ago mm. somebody died it's the memories and for some people the memories are so so clear they're with you every day and so yeah it's for people that say you know forget about it why aren't you over it yet embrace the fact that it is still raw and probably will be for the rest of your life because because the memories are so good mm. and and change your change your perspective on on how you you believe you should deal with deal with death and deal with living after somebody's died as mm. well um, but don't let it define you or don't let it consume you also it's, it's just embracing in a different way and I think these kind of discussions or conversations we don't have really. Yes it, well I do a lot. Who do, <laughs> do you have the discussion with? Well the writers. Brilliant. Uh, okay. um, and I think that I think the interesting thing about writing and why I want to sort of write a book on writing from the shadow is that these are ways you can process. Like I really feel like my book Pilgrimage it has some you know moments of quite dark you know, suicidal thoughts and uh, hormonal issues and physical pain and yep. a lot of things that were difficult at the time. And now I read it and I don't feel like that. I'm like a different person. And part of the healing process is writing. And so writing for therapy is something that people do and it can help you process whatever that is. Yes. And then I think with fiction, a lot of the darker fiction it helps you face. I write about good and evil a lot. Yes. And um, it it's kind of a cathartic experience of, I really just think good will triumph in the end kind of, kind of message. Yeah. That's why yeah. I love thriller and, and the horror genres is, it's actually about hope. It's about the triumph over difficult circumstances. 
yeah. which is what we all face at different points in our life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, some, some memories linger and, and others don't. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I mean, you've, you've encompassed two very important mentally um, positive skills, writing and walking, mm. as being a way that everybody, even if you're not a writer or want to publish, just writing down your thoughts and getting them from your head onto paper or paper. Mm. That's such an old-fashioned conversation. <laughs> no, I've got a notebook in my bag. Oh, I still you? write on paper. Yes, so do I, actually. Uh, and also type, obviously, yeah. and dictate yeah. and all of those things. But but it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Whoops, sorry. Thank you. We run over by a another bike. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of bikes along here. See the signets oh. over there? They're oh, big now. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Stretching their wings. Yes, sometimes oh, the yeah, some swans are over this side and oh, they're, they're so quite vicious as <laughs> well. You have to they? head off to, in the other direction. Because <laughs> yes, I have been chased by a swan. Yes, <laughs> they're long here. Is uh, yeah, it they're can very, be difficult, but yeah. they're big now, so they're looking after their young ones. But yeah, I think journaling, like I've always journaled. Um, so I, I married happily married for the second time. But when my first uh, husband left me, I wrote. I have about like, four full book journals from that year uh, that first year none yes. of which will see the light of day no but they were like proper therapy journals and just rep very repetitive I yep. mean people will, will know this pain is quite repetitive yes I mean even my diary from the Camino for example is quite repetitive with I mean the Pilgrim's Day is is repetitive yeah but the pain I I got um heat rash and blisters and oh yeah uh, the blisters were That's, not great. <laughs> no, they're the worst, aren't they? And that was on about day six, and there Ooh. were 15 days. So, but and so there was a lot of just re repetition of pain, um, which luckily I decided to put into the book as one chapter, which was the Pilgrim's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Because, kept, kept it concise. <laughs> yes, concisely. Chop out 20,000 words of repeated pain. Uh, but that I think, like I said before, I think editing is such an important part of writing in general and Definitely. writing memoir in particular and curating yeah, that's the difference between writing a journal which is for yourself yes and writing a book for which is for other people to read and to be in, informative in some way or to be able to pass on words not or wisdom, in, inspirational maybe, or, yes. or entertaining I mean fiction is yes. for entertainment purposes and um, but yes I think that is something that is something you learn you have to kind of switch your head from yourself yes. to the reader yeah yeah and be like yeah this is just for me and not for the reader so i'm just gonna cut that out <laughs> but good morning people are very friendly along this path yes, as well very nice. so. oh i should point out this oh past the pigs there they are oh, it's a little good. little farm wow you see the pig they're actually they're redoing it there's normally loads of chickens and the little oh there's the goats over there oh oh yeah in the back there oh, oh nice yeah it's a little happy. farm they sell eggs sometimes do they do they sell goat's milk as well no no there's some kids oh, there kids, that's yes. quite new moving on your podcast actually before that mm. audible so you you mm. have actually recorded all your books yourself uh no, no? uh i've I've narrated, I've been narrating for maybe eight years, but I have hired narrators for many of my books. Um, Do you find the narrating side 
quite difficult to do? Or yeah, I mean, it's yeah. very hard, it's but I, skill, I, narrate, I narrate my non-fiction these days, but right. fiction is, is its own beast, really. Yes. Um, I narrate my short stories, and I've narrated uh, several of my non-fiction, obviously the memoir, Pilgrimage. Yes. And, um, but yes, I, I like the fact that it keeps people thinking about the author. Right. And also I think, especially a memoir, having it in your own voice is important. Yeah. I don't know, have you done yours? Yeah, uh, well, I've, I've, I've actually just experimented and, and um, done the first couple of chapters, mm. but not in a proper studio or anything, just to see whether I was up for it. Yes, well, I built a sound booth in my house uh, which is I've got I've got a link on my website if you okay. need a, if you need it just with a carpenter and some sound sound blankets. Oh, brilliant! And because okay. the thing is, for an audio book, it's quite different to this. Obviously, <laughs> yes, you need specific sound uh, technical things to make it the quality that you need for an audio book. Yes, yes. But I do think a memoir in the author's voice is a good thing and it's a it's a good skill great way of editing as well because when you read something out loud you realize that you've repeated yes. sounds or repeated words and yeah yes yeah you often pick up things actually i tend to when i did when i did write it initially i did kind of s say it aloud anyway because i think this is mm. a very good way of mm -hmm. knowing oh suddenly it's got very busy along the street yes anyway oh. so we move move on anyway so um and another of your many skills Joe, <laughs> is as a creative entrepreneur and I wonder what you actually mean by by that because obviously everybody has their own interpretation <laughs> of what, what a creative well, I just, entrepreneur is. I just think is. it means I run, run my own business okay uh, and which yeah as I mentioned I, I've been doing now well for yeah 15 years, 15 years. Um, and do you ever find having had a career in IT and consultancy and knowing the money that you could earn in that world even though it's horribly high, st very stressful and perhaps not the direction you want to go. Is there this impetus within you or drive within you that you want to match the same kind of money but in, a, in the field that you're now in? Well, I, uh, I far surpass that money. Oh. I've been running a multi-six-figure oh, business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, wow. well, there we go. To give you Let's the timeline, but isn't that that just shows from my perspective as well how well, your, your how expectation been... is way too low? Obviously, it's <laughs> extremely low. No, I've been. Uh, I so By I left my job in 2011. Yeah, I made six figures in 2015, so pounds. Right. And then 2016 was my first multi-six-figure year. And I've been that ever since. My goodness. So yeah, I mean, the, this is the thing, the myth of the starving artist, that's what some people want it to be, but that yeah. doesn't have to be how it is. No. But that's another reason I wanted to run my own business as an author, because I can make 90% uh, rather than 10%. Yes, yes. And most authors only make 10% of their book sales, 10 yeah. to 20, maybe 50. Yeah. But, um, I can make 90. Yes. And if you can, why not do that? Yeah. Well, yeah. And if you're prepared to put in also and understand the other sort of arms or skills that you need to get your book out Yeah, there. but these are all things you learn. You exactly. Know? I have a degree in theology. I have a second degree in psychology. I don't have 
I mean, I've just learned on the job. Yeah, as you've gone. You know, as we're podcasting, I learned how to podcast. My po- I started my podcast in 2009. Right. And I phoned someone up on a phone and put a hand recorder <laughs> next to it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was back in the day when you would put a tape deck in your yes. uh, car and it would link. You, you, there were little MP3 players, but you would plug them in with a tape deck. <laughs> I mean, that's how long ago it was. Yeah. And then over time, I've just learned more and more skills. But yep. again, you know, like I said, I've got 40, around 40 books. I've, I've sold books in 172 countries. Oh gosh, okay. I've sold, you know, a lot of books. You've had your books published in other languages as well? Cause I just yeah, yes, yeah, some other languages. Um, German, Spanish, Italian, French. It's just yeah. very much about thinking outside the box and, and never limiting yourself to to one thing always be aware of what's going on because at the moment particularly with um, the way technology is developing I mean it's going in leaps and bounds almost to the point where you don't know which to do first well I think yes there are so many opportunities and I would say if people do want to write a book and then publish it it's not it's not even go traditionally published or self-published on Amazon there are now so many things like we mentioned Kickstarter yes. uh, Brandon Sanderson who is a huge fantasy author did a is, is now famous for his Kickstarter he made uh, some utter crazy amount of money like 42 million dollars on Kickstarter as a fantasy author wow. but then he traditionally publishes his his books as well yeah so it's not either or anymore yep. It can be both, yep. like I license some of my books. But it's more thinking that, and it's interesting, your um, expectation of my income, is, which is kind of funny. Well, no, because I also <laughs> thought that IT consultants are like, you know, they're so up there. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, made, I made really good money. I made, <laughs> I, six, I made a six-figure income, but this is the truth of what is now, what is a scalable yes. career. Yes. Because as an IT consultant, I, if I worked eight hours, I was paid for eight hours. Yeah. But with writing books, the book I write, you know, the book that I've just published, well, just about to publish, Catacomb, that's going to earn me money for the rest of my life and 70 years after I die. Yeah. So I spend the time once... Yes. And then it, it goes into my engine almost. So this is what people have to think. Some of the richest people in the world are creatives. I mean, when we use the word entrepreneur, entrepreneurs create things from their brains, from ideas. And that's what we do as authors. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the undervaluing of creatives and authors and books in general is partly our own fault. <laughs> yes. And I mean, yeah. like, for example, I, I'm a professional speaker which means people pay me to speak. Yes. <laughs> so, but the number of things I get asked to do for free are absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. because that's the culture we live in. Yes. Is that, well, you're an author, so of course you want to do stuff for free. And it's like, really? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, and we need to value creative work. Yeah. And I think that's... If you value yourself then other people will value you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I do say, oh, actually, my, um, you know, my professional speaking fees are X, and they're like, oh, great, yeah, sure, we'll pay that. It's just that yeah. most authors don't think to even ask that. No. So, yeah, so I don't think... undervalue creative work, for no. sure. That, no, that's a very, very valuable 
point and I've taken that point totally on board. <laughs> have you now adjusted your own potential I income? Have, Are you yes. going to get writing that book? <laughs> Absolutely, gosh, watch this space world. <laughs> I mean, it's also having had a bookshop and seeing how, uh, I mean, you've just encompassed that whole idea about mm. a bookshop. Everybody thinks everything's there's free. Yes. They can come and sit there for hours and not buy a book. Yes. They come and just download. And you download probably make the... like one pound fifty on a book set. Well, or... the worst day I had was two pounds fifty in the yeah. whole day. I thought, yeah. How on earth am I going to pay my staff? Yeah. My rent. Yeah. My everything. But it's a perception, and people used to come into the shop and say, "Oh, but I can get this book on Amazon for three pounds cheaper." Yeah. And you just think, well. Yes, but then we won't exist and you wouldn't have discovered the book yeah. if you hadn't come into the bookshop. Yes. But it is, it's actually changing people's mindset that it is a, it's a job, it's a skill. It's, and if you want to read more books, you've got to, you've got to think. Well, it's funny, it's funny though. I mean, I, I, when I looked at how to design my business, for example, I never pitched to bookshops. I mean, you can order my books in your local independent bookstore. Yeah. They will order it from you because I'm in all the catalogues. But the amount of profit I make yes. if I sell to a bookstore yeah. is also not worth it. No. So no, this, no, no. And this is a crazy thing. It, you know, I, I, I go to bookstores. We have wonderful bookshops in Bath, by the way. Mm. And we have Toppings. We have Mr. B's, Mr. which B's, are both yeah. independent bookstores. Yes. We have a lovely Waterstones. Um, and there's other, other ones. And, but, and I, I'm in there all the time buying books. But my books aren't in there. No. <laughs> I, I can make more money direct or yep. online. Also, I can market to the whole world. Yes. And so this is the thing. The book ecosystem has changed. Yeah. But we're book lovers and people listening, presumably book lovers. So I actually, I'm completely, you know, buy books in whatever way you like. Just buy books. Yes. Um, which is also why I want all, everyone to write a book. Because when you write a book, you will read far more books. Yeah. And so if everyone in the world decided to write a book, we would all sell many more books. <laughs> and, by the way, there is a book in everyone yes. anyway. So well, I think there's, there's probably at least more one. than one. Yes, exactly. If you get the bug for it, yeah. yes. you, can't, you can't stop. Yeah. But no, you're, absolutely, <laughs> you're absolutely right, because it, you, you forget how, not how difficult, how, how time-consuming it is to write, to get it right. To, oh. to be able to put out yes. what you want to say. You may be in your head, but when you actually put it down on paper, you realise it actually doesn't sound right, and then you're having to edit, edit, edit. Yes, edit. It's, a, it's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I would certainly say it's not a, even though I make a good, I have a good business, it's not a get rich quick scheme. No. Well, nothing is in life, really, is it? <laughs> well, few things are, maybe. Few things but <laughs> are, but yeah. I mean, there's easier ways to make a living than being an author, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But if you're someone who's kind of, this is how I process the world through writing. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I just like being on my own, writing and reading. And, you know, my husband is luckily an introvert as well. Uh, and we have cats and yes. yeah, we yeah. go traveling and stuff, but- Brilliant. You know, mostly just a quiet bookish life. <laughs> Sounds very idyllic, actually. <laughs> Why, when you're not walking along the canal yes. here. <laughs> but then it's still a quiet bookish life. I mean, I, my husband runs quite a lot and he'll run a long way and he'll listen to audio books and, yes. you know. Um, so one of the topics for this podcast mm. this, this year has all been about choice and the choices that we have made um, that have sometimes the choices are made for us, but particularly when we're very young and they define us in a certain way. And if you reflect back on the choices that you've made to date that have perhaps 
defined or helped to redefine you? What, what have been the main, what have been the ones that have had perhaps the lasting impact for you, on you? Well, I think quite early on I learned what my highest value is. Tony Robbins, the American yeah. self-help chap, uh, I used to read a lot of his books. Yes. And uh, he had this thing about, you know, what is your highest value and what will you do to live that way? And mine is freedom. And it, it always has been. Yes. And I've made decisions around freedom. So it's funny, again, you mentioned a bookshop. But, yes. And I actually had a scuba diving business in New Zealand and it was very much a uh, money suck because of it was a physical location, a boat, yes. which needed customers, physical customers. And we were also dependent on the weather, which at least you weren't dependent on the weather. Um, but I learned from that that actually, I, I was, but there we go. Oh, well. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> I was like, I do not want to run a physical business. Yes, yes. Because I want to be free. And so I learned that quite early on, and I, I sort of that made me think I want to be able to earn money from wherever I am in the world. Yes. And this was really coming in sort of 2005, 2006, the four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss, yep. um, Gary Vaynerchuk's sort yes. of work. And it became viable to earn a living on the internet. Yeah. And the, so that's what I started to do. And it was also that point when, so 2007 was the launch of the iPhone and the launch of the Kindle, both of which transformed the potential to make a living online for authors. Yes. And so I saw that and yeah, jumped into it that way. So, so the desire for freedom led to the choices around my business. Yes. And also this, this sort of idea of scalability of choosing not to work for my time. Yeah, yeah. So I do very little, professionally speaking, because it is money for time. Yeah. Pretty much everything I do is money for an, an asset. Okay. So when we run a business, we think about our books as assets yes. that bring in income for the long term. And so I, I'm very careful about my intellectual property assets. Right. Then okay. that's kind of how I live. But then I guess freedom also my husband and I, we're uh, child-free by choice. Yes. And we did make that decision when we got together. And I know for many people, that's not a decision they've made. Mm -hmm. But for us, we're very happy with that decision. Yes. And that has shaped how we live. Yep. Um, and allowed you to do the things you can do. Yes, and obviously a lot of people do it with children. But Yes. Oh, that's very windy. It is. Wow. <laughs> I think, I mean, this is the windiest bit. Okay, so I'll just get through this. Yeah, that's Salisbury Hill. Oh, okay. Little Salisbury Hill, made famous by Peter Gabriel. And, uh, but that's basically the Cotswolds. Okay. And then this way is Bath City. Right. But yeah, this is super windy. Sorry. This is where I walked because I came over here <laughs> oh, earlier course, and walked walk this way this and way. I was like, <laughs> no way. Yeah, this is super yeah. windy. Oh, Richard, we've been pretty lucky up until this point. Yes. We've so we're talking about freedom and um, choices. Your, your choices, yes. Yes, so to be child free, although now we have two uh, British short hair cats, so we have <laughs> fur babies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that kind of, uh, does it tie you? Or can you uh, yeah, my mum loves uh, okay. cat sitting, so that's all good. But no, it's, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion that my mother-in-law is in New Zealand. So yes. we travel as a matter of uh, life. Fantastic. In general. Um, but yeah, so I think 
there are obviously pros and cons for every choice we make. Yes. But I, I continue to use my highest value as freedom as a way to help me make decisions. Yes. Um, as much as for my business as anything else. So, for example, I run a solo business. I'm the only employee of my company. Yeah. And I could scale to a much bigger business like many authors do if I employed other people or I could be an actual publisher and publish other people. I don't want to do any of that no. because I want to be free to yeah. write the books I want when I want. Yes. I don't want to have any ties to having to do certain things. Yeah. I don't write to market. Yeah. Um, everything is about choice really. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, some people would say, I, some of that is a bad decision, but we all make our decisions. Of we? course, and, and, and also whatever decisions we make, we can also choose to change that decision. We yes. don't have to, generally speaking, have that set in, no, in concrete and never, never budge. Well, I think, um, like for example, I left the UK in 2000 uh, to go traveling as a cho choice. Yeah. And then I traveled around Australia and then I'm settled in New Zealand and I thought I would stay in New Zealand forever because it's a beautiful country and why wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> well there's many but it's like anywhere else there are pros and cons of course in any country yes and um, lived in Australia for a bit both Australia and New Zealand have good bits and bad bits yeah. in the same way that the UK yes has good bits and bad bits and then 11 years after I left I came back and live in Bath and I'm very happy to be English and I, I think I appreciate this country a lot more because I lived away yes. for 11 years and I lived in countries that many British people think are better somehow yeah. but in my opinion are definitely not. Yes. So I think that's the thing. You can go somewhere on holiday but if you actually live somewhere for years yeah, then yeah. You, things are quite different. And yeah. So what's so crazy is after someone who always thought I was you know, free to roam. And I mean, I have lived in lots of different places. I've worked all over Europe and my mum was in America for a while and my brother was in Japan. And, you know, we've kind of lived all over the world. And I was born in Somerset, so we're in Somerset now. Yes. Um, I was born in Minehead in Somerset. I went to school in Bristol and, uh, and now I'm back here. And it's kind of really weird. Full circle almost. <laughs> it is a full circle. And I never thought that would happen. Um, but when we moved back, we lived in London, and again, I never thought I'd leave London. But this yeah. choice of where to live is a very is a moving it is. moves as your life changes. Yeah. You've obviously yes. you're moving, yes, and, and it's a big it's a big shock almost to leave London. Yes, it is, and and uh, who knows, you know, it's, it's also because it's a sense of an unknown, isn't it? It's yes. change. Yes, but I think is you know, was it Paul Young who said, "Wherever you lay your hat, that's your yes. home." Yes, kind of but I and always thought that. Yeah. and then I, the more we live here. I think because of the pandemic, we just like this path. We would walk this path every day and you see it in all the seasons. Yeah. And I actually now, I do feel like Bath is my home, which is, I don't think I've really felt it before. And if, um, if people listen to my books and travel podcast, I'm totally obsessed with this idea of home yeah. because I never really felt it before. Yes. And then I think something shifted. Again, maybe middle age <laughs> but makes I, a difference. <laughs> possibly, but I think it's also when you travel a lot. I mean, similar to you, I travelled a lot, worked abroad and lived in Australia as well, but not, mm. for, not for 11 years. It was for like 18 months, two years. But mm. when you do travel a lot and you see a lot of the world and it becomes your home for a while, but in the end, you still become slightly 
you're not sure where your roots are. Mm. And it's actually finding that place that you can really call yes. home, that you feel wherever else you go, you know that you're rooted to a place that mm. you can go into and you can just go, you know, relax. Yeah, and you know how it all works. I mean, even things, it's so funny, again, I do feel English. My brother lives in Edinburgh, so oh, you know, he, he okay. feels Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> um, my grandma was um, Scottish, so okay. we do have that ancestry. But I feel very English and a lot to do with, I think, being an introvert, being... Um, there's a lot of body language and a lot of ways that English people behave that in Australia particularly it was very confusing because people behave in a different way they have in yep. England we might say something and there's a whole load of subtext most of what we do is subtext <laughs> yes in Australia that in Australia there is no subtext direct and blunt straight to the point yes it? and I found it very very hard to communicate with people <laughs> because I was like I said this and they're like, it, yeah, that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. And yeah, so yeah. it's so interesting how culturally, and New Zealand yes. again is very different, but I missed architecture, I missed cultural history. And when I say that, you know, we're in Bath, we've got a 2000 year old Roman bath next yeah. to a thousand year old medieval abbey next yes. to Georgian architecture that people might have seen in Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> and so of course there's cultural history in yeah in New Zealand and Australia, but it's very different. And my books are all pretty much all European, although I have written one in New Zealand called Risen Gods, which is uh, which was inspired by the Christchurch tsunami and earthquake in 2011. Oh, wow. But it's a um, dark fantasy, but it's set in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, really... most of my books are set in Europe and inspired by European history. That, that, is, that is the beauty of travel, isn't it? It can mm. inspire in so many ways. But um, So Joe, considering that you have two podcasts, you're just running one at the moment, mm. which is the, the um, creative, pen. creative Pen. Books and Travel is one that people can look up because mm. all the episodes are there. You've got your, your novels, your fiction, and you've got non-fiction mm. how-to books mm. for, for writing that you write. You do your public speaking as well. Um, social media is another gamut that we haven't really touched. I don't do upon. much on social, so, to be honest. <laughs> um, but you are very much into sort of the IT, chat, GBT, discovering oh, I, don't, that. I don't want to talk about but that. We won't talk about that. <laughs> but what my, no, point we'll is, my, point, my point is that there's a lot of plate spinning going on. How do you manage your time? <laughs> with, because there's a lot going on in your life, Joe, and there's a lot of, seems to be a lot of plate spinning. Yeah, I think that's how it might seem, but uh, I actually just split my day into two. Yep. Uh, in the mornings, I create something, and in yep. the afternoons, I do business stuff. So normally, I would only do these types of things in the afternoon. We're doing it in the morning because yep. you were in town. Yes. But um, no, normally, I write in the morning or I do something else like that, and in the afternoon, I do podcasting or email. Uh, I don't do much else, to be honest. Okay. Uh, that's mainly it. And you I make think it sound very simple. I, I mean, to be <laughs> honest, I, I do. I'm, I'm not a, I don't write every day on a project. I'm what I guess I'd call a binge writer. Okay. So I'm project focused. Yes. So I will you know, get a book all the way to completion. Then I will publish the book. I will market the book. I'll put it out in the world and then I will start the next book. Right. Um, but no, I, I mean, I've been full time for, uh, what, 12, whatever, how many years. And so 
it's all pretty streamlined at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it might look like I do a lot because I have a huge body of work, but that's because I've been doing this so long. For a long time. Um, yeah. I think people, people who are starting new, well, you know, even with podcasting, once you learn how to do something, you just repeat that. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yes. So no, but essentially I do it by mornings are creative work, afternoons are business. Right, okay. Nice and simple. Keep it simple, that's yeah. what I like to hear. Um, so Joe, is there anything else? We've been t walking and talking for quite a while. We've walked as far as Bathampton. Bathampton, and yes. And then we've walked back to Bath. So anybody in the Bath area, do come and walk this bit of the canal. It's absolutely beautiful. You will not be disappointed. Um, but Joe, is there anything else you'd like to add or you'd like to talk about that I haven't asked you? No, I think we've covered a lot. And as we've discussed, I mean, I, I really think writing and walking are good yes, ways to live are. your life and to add various aspects. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I've got, I have got an episode on books and travel about the dark side of Bath. Okay. Because I, what does annoy me is that people just think it's all bonnets and Jane Austen. <laughs> yes. But actually, um, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein here. Yes. She might have got the idea. That. Yes, yeah. she might have got the idea off with Byron, but she wrote it here. Okay. And uh, so there is now a Frankenstein museum. There is, there are Roman curse tablets in the Roman baths. Uh, there's quite a lot of dark history. Okay. In Bath, uh, there are a lot of Freemasons, a lot of wonderful architecture. So yes, a shout out for my city. Brilliant, thank you. <laughs> but yes, thank you for having me, Emma. Oh, no, Joe, it's been absolutely a pleasure. And to all you podcast listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with Joe or look her up, she's on. You're on Instagram. Yes, so I'm at JF Penn Author okay. on Instagram and Threads. And Threads yes. are the new, the new <laughs> the thing. The new one. Yes. And yes, my website is jfpen.com. Okay, and you're on Twitter also? I am on Twitter at the Creative Pen with a double N. Brilliant. Yes. Okay, so Joe, thank you very much again. <laughs> Thanks and, for having me. Uh, it's been lucky, we've been lucky with the weather, it's held off. A bit windy, so apologies, listeners, if you hear bits of windiness, that is just English weather really yeah. isn't it <laughs> so thank you all for listening I hope you've enjoyed the podcast if you have please do share with your friends uh, please do subscribe to the traveling through podcast and I would be very grateful if you could leave a review because in that way the podcast episodes reach a further audience and it's all about my guests getting known further afield um, but that's it for today from Bath have a lovely day or rest of the week take care and thanks for listening